If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we return to Our American Stories. And up next, a story from Pete Kors on Adolf Kors. Take it away, Pete. Well, so uh, Adolf was born somewhere in the 1840s in a little place called Barmen on Wuppertal in Germany. And kind of an interesting story. People say the C-O-O-R-S uh, name is, is kind of unusual for, for a German name. His birth certificate, he was signed in as Coors K-O-R-S, which is very German. And his father actually signed K-O-H-R-S. And by the time his sister was born, about uh, eight or 10 years later, there was a Dutch magistrate who brought the double O from, uh, from their language and it became C-O-O-R-S. His father was a flour miller, and died uh, when he was 10. He had been apprenticed three times in order to survive. Once as a uh, flour miller with his father's trade, once as a uh, printer bookbinder, and those are three years indentureships, which, as I understand, in those days, that meant you got room and board, and that's about it. And then the third one in brewing. We don't know the details of how or why he decided to leave Germany. He was always very proud of his German heritage. But he stowed away on a ship, landed in Baltimore, had no papers, had no money, had no, uh, was able to work off his passage. As soon as he did, he started working his way across the country, and I guess it's a, you know, a typical great American story of coming to a land of opportunity and freedom, but uh, with no safety nets. I mean, it, you came here, you were on your own, as so many pioneers did after this country became free from the monarchical rule of England, and he, 
worked on the Erie Barge Canal, as we understand it. He worked at a brewery in Naperville, Illinois, the Stenger Brewery, became general manager of the brewery there, uh, left, came further west, ended up in Denver, started a business importing cask wine from California and taking it by pack horse up to the mining towns at, between Idaho Springs, Georgetown, Central City, Blackhawk, and selling them, and that's how he made a living, and then... I guess some of his German friends uh, in Denver said, well, you know how to brew beer, we, we could use a good brewery. Joined up with a financial partner. I think he invested about $10,000 in uh, 11 acres in Golden, Colorado, where he had found a source of spring water. The brewery was incorporated in 1873, three years before Colorado statehood. Uh, his partner lasted about eight years and decided the beer business wasn't going anywhere. And Adolf uh, had turned into a sole proprietorship and he really had no formal education, but he had, he had a practical education. And I think that was probably true for most immigrants at that time. They came uh, with their skills, with their ability to do hard labor. And it wasn't easy, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't easy. And as I look at some of the pictures that we have in the archives of the brewery workers uh, sitting around the tanks and the kegs, it's pretty obvious that they were a pretty rough crew. You know, he, he, he struggled, but the, the business was growing. In those days, there were over 20 breweries in Colorado. Most of the mining towns had uh, their own breweries. We would, we would equate to craft breweries today, uh, boutique breweries. If you hike throughout Colorado and pay attention, a lot of these old abandoned uh, mining towns and mining uh, areas, you'll find hops growing, uh, hops growing wild. And he literally started by, you know, hauling beer by pack horse. And then he began to buy properties. And pre-prohibition, he sold beer by having, uh, like craft breweries doing today, by having saloons and, and bars. We have a listing actually 19, I think the first year of taxes were 1915 and he did a full accounting of all his properties in Denver and in southern Colorado and around the region. Prohibition changed all that and brewers could no longer own retail liquor saloons and bars. Another interesting story about Adolph. He needed to double the capacity of his brewery because they were doing quite well and growing and I believe it was 1884, I don't, can't remember for sure the date. He had just completed the new facilities and a flood came down Clear Creek and wiped out his new brewery. And he had borrowed money from the banks in Denver to build that and of course, beer sales primarily grow in the summertime. And so here his brewery in the spring has wiped out all of his inventory. Went back to the banks and said, look, uh, if you'll double down, I'll rebuild and I'll pay it off. And he did, but he never borrowed another dime. He decided that, uh, that that was not a good way to proceed. So really the company didn't ever borrow money until about the late 1880s. We'd been growing and we needed the additional capital to, to expand the brewery. So people often ask, why in the world, in the 60s and 70s, when the company was growing so fast, were you only in 11 states? And the simple answer is we were 
every dime that we had was invested back into the company because we had no debt. We couldn't borrow money to grow any faster. So that's uh, in the mid-70s when uh, competition from the east, particularly Anheuser-Busch, came more west. We began to expand our territory and uh, people used to say it had something to do with quality and, and to a certain degree it did. We, in 11 states we could have pretty good control of quality. But the real reason is we needed to, in order to become a competitor with the big guys and keep them from burying us, we expanded territory. The rest, I guess, as they say, is history. A couple of funny stories uh, after Prohibition. Back in those days, uh, a banquet was a big deal. You didn't have fast food restaurants. You didn't have people on there, you know, going out to clubs and I mean if you had a banquet that was a big deal and my grandfather said to the we had no marketing department per se in those days and said, said well uh, I think we ought to well this is this is a beer that's good enough for a banquet and so that's where banquet came from and the other another funny story you know now we have the Coors Banquet has the stubby bottles and it's a it's a retro it goes back to the early days after Prohibition when we had stubby bottles. And I asked my uncle one time, I don't know if this is a true story or not, I asked my uncle one time, why did we, why did we go to Longnecks? And he said, well, he said, the cowboys, when they go dancing, would like to would put their bottles in the back pocket so they could dance, and the beer would slosh out. And so that's how Longnecks got started. Yeah, I don't know if that's true, accurate or not, but that's that's why everybody went everybody went to long necks and stub everybody had pretty much had stubbies back in the early days after Prohibition. <laughs> so uh, now we've gone back to the I guess they put their beers down when they go dance. I don't know, but anyway. And a special thanks to Monty and to Alex for the storytelling and putting that story together so beautifully. And a special thanks to Pete Coors. And what a story he had to tell about Adolf Coors. Born in Germany, he became an apprentice and even talked about indentureships. This is back when young people would work for room and board. And that was it. And my goodness, by 1873, having come to America, moved all the way out to the West and learned not by formal education, but by practical education, that is experience, forged and formed a company that was incorporated in 1873, three years before Colorado was even a state. And all these years later, this family business, well, it's still a family business, and that doesn't happen often. The story of Adolf Coors and Coors Brewing Company, as told by Pete Coors, here on Our American Stories. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.